Hello and welcome to Maine Education Matters with Matt and Matt. My name is Matt. And I'm Matt too. And Matt, today we are here in Augusta at the Burton Cross building and right now we're sitting in the chair's office of the Health Coverage Insurance and Financial Services. And what we're doing here is we are talking to the chair of that committee, Representative Denise Tepler. How are you, Denise? I'm well, Matt. Thanks very much. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for, for meeting with us. You you represent the fantastic, wonderful, amazing town of Topsom. Not biased whatsoever. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? So, uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do here and about, just about you. Great. Okay, well, I'm chair of this committee, the Health Coverage Insurance and Financial Services Committee. And this uh, coming session will be my sixth year in the legislature uh, at the end of my third term here. Um, so I will have one more term, hopefully, to serve the people of Topsom. Uh, as chair of this committee, I help plan our meetings, plan the flow of work that we do. And of course, I vote on legislation both at the committee level and on the floor of the house. So tell us a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, about just about the committee. Okay. What, what are the kind of things that the health, health coverage, insurance, financial services, the, the kind of the breadth that, that it covers? Well, it's actually, it's kind of a new designation this year with more of an emphasis on healthcare reform. So we okay. are dealing with healthcare reform issues. We're dealing with health coverage um, in terms of private insurance as opposed to Medicaid or Medicare. The HHS committee deals with Medicare and public health care issues. Uh, we also deal with other insurance matters. So this year we tackled some issues around car sharing and oh. um, how insurance will follow car sharing uh, because we thought that was an important upcoming issue. We also tackled issues around securities um, that are affected by the state. So we and we also deal with the Bureau of Insurance and all of the entities that come under the Bureau of Insurance. So you said before we were talking on this pod here that you wanted to stress that you're not part of the Education Committee. Yes. Yet Matt, and Matt, we we talk about the Education Committee all the time. Mm -hmm. But you had a really interesting answer on one reason that why we're talking to you. Could you could you kind of explain that a little bit? Well, I think that one of the things that we were talking about was the issue of process. Mm -hmm. And that um, we can talk about process because it's very similar in every committee. But also, I think that one of the things I said to you was that as a member of the legislature, I have to trust mm. committee members, other committee members, because in this committee, I sit and hear evidence on bills sometimes extensive evidence from the public, from experts, and I have to trust that other legislators who are going through that process, hearing all the evidence, hearing from the departments, the executive branch departments, um, will have a good process and will make their vote based on that process. It's very rare that I look at the work another committee has done and question it very seriously. I have to assume that people are doing their best, just as I am in this committee, to analyze the evidence and to come up with a good policy solution. 
I would hope that that also that, that, that would also go in reverse. That you would hope that when you're going through all of their your testimony, you're going through all of the evidence that you're hearing, when you present a bill out, they're going to look at your stuff the same way. That that's the hope. Because that's 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 the building bridge of trust that you would have that you're that you're talking right. about is that not everyone can sit in on every uh, a public hearing, all the testimony on every work session. Not everyone can do that because I mean the education committee alone last year had over two hundred plus bills. And we did as well. You in had this it as committee. well. Mm. So, so there's no two hundred and eighty, I believe. In oh this my committee. goodness! <laughs> oh wow! I got tired just hearing that. Um, but it's one of those one of those things. There's no way everyone can keep up with everything. That's so, that's correct. And and not only that, we have a citizens' legislature. I mean, I was a stay-at-home mom for many years. I also taught part-time uh, off campus at the universities. Uh, I have a master's degree in anthropology. I did go back to school at one point to study public policy after my school board service because I served on the SAD 75 school board for eight years. But I'm really, you know, just a regular person who got an interest in public service and got elected to represent my town. Uh, we're, I'm not a professional politician. I haven't been here my whole life. I wasn't trained as a politician, and that's the way the Maine legislature works. So one of the questions I have about about how you get the information from your fellow representatives, mm -hmm. uh, we see Matt and I see the like the uh, the hearings either on TV or you can stream them live, mm -hmm. and you see that process. But I'm I know there's a lot of behind the scenes things. So when you when you talk to your colleagues, is that do, does some of that information come right on the House floor? Uh, does some of it come like in this room at, that we're sitting in that, that you're just having conversations with people? What, what does that look like when you're trying to find out information from the other committees? Um, there are a couple of processes that go on. Every morning, uh, the speaker has a meeting of the Democratic chairs of committees. And uh, we all talk together about what's on the schedule for the day, uh, what are the major issues that are coming up. If there's something very controversial, it gets discussed there among the chairs of the committees. Um, and then also, each party has a caucus time. And that is a time where they discuss the issues of the day uh, or what is coming up that's controversial whether we're all going to take a particular position on something or whether everyone's going to go their own way, depending on their own uh, feelings and their need to represent their community. Okay. Now, all, and all the legislators get together for that caucus time? Yes. Do those, you said those meetings with the speaker happens every morning? Every morning that we have session. Yeah. Oh, okay. So okay. not every morning because for example, in January, we'll start with a Wednesday session on the 8th, then we'll move to Tuesday-Thursday sessions the following week through probably the end of February, and then in March, we'll probably start with three days a week mm -hmm. of session. So session days begin with um, the chairs meeting in the speaker's office. They then go to caucus time for the Democrats. Uh, Republicans caucus time is sometimes at that time, sometimes at other times. Okay. 
Um, and the same is true for the independent caucus. Sometimes independents in the past have chosen to caucus with one party or the other, but currently they have their own caucus. Interesting. So we have seven independents in the House. That was my next question. Yeah. Okay. I, b I believe that's the correct number. There has been a little shifting. So I sure. hope I'm right sure. about that. Sure. Clo it's, close enough. It's close seven, enough. Seven, seven absolutely. Ish. Seven, seven ish. 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 Yeah. I, I, like the, I like that suffix ish because it just kind of allows a level of inclusion for just about everything. Mm -hmm. I was wondering how that, how that worked because you hear that like uh, Senator King caucuses with the Democrats and I always wondered what that meant and now I now I know right that means that when uh, they need to discuss the issues of the day and to go over controversial issues he discusses those issues with uh, the other Democrats being present right. one thing you should know is the Democrats welcome news media into our caucus so news media is often present at the caucus it is not a closed caucus. It's a public meeting, in that sense, in that news okay. media is welcome. So then, so then, basically, what you're trying to then, I'm assuming, the intention there is to allow complete and utter transparency of the thinking process of what's happening in the the way that the session is designed. Is that where that's coming from? Uh, I think so, and I think it also helps people to understand that within the Democratic Party at the state level that there are disagreements. It's, uh, we're kind yeah. of a big tent here. We have more conservative Democrats all the way to very lefty Democrats um, within our caucus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we don't always agree. Um, so one of the major areas that happened last year um, mm -hmm. with the, the governor's budget and the way that it all played out was there was a major boost to the teacher salaries. Yes. Um, they went from a 30,000 base up to a 40,000 base. Um, and that's going to be incrementally applied yes. Applied over the next, what, three years? I yes. think is what it is. Yes. Uh, I believe that this year, it starting salary was supposed to be 37.5, moving up to 40,000 in 2021. One of the questions that I've heard about this particular piece of the budget is how does that affect some of the school districts that have multiple steps below 40,000? If you, if you have like a 32, 34, 36, 38, 40, for example, that will increase everybody's step, but then it squeezes those steps together for some teachers. And there, some of the districts are wondering how does that, how is that gonna be supported from the state after the 40,000 takes full effect? That's a very good question. I don't know the answer to that, but I do think that it's something that we probably need to talk about. The goal of the policy was to create more equity in teacher salaries across the state, and hopefully so that there are places in the state that could attract good new teachers, even though they would have in the past had a lower starting salary. Right. Mm -hmm. So for example, even my daughter was able to take this job in Lewiston this year and was very excited about the diverse student population she's teaching, but it was made easier by that boost in salary mm -hmm. because she didn't have to choose between a lower salary and 
having the kind of diverse district that she wanted to participate in. Right, right. I know in the in the past a lot of people talk about where where they are teaching, mm-hmm. and you know, there's the student loans obviously are are, are mm-hmm. a big factor of this, mm-hmm. and I think being more equitable across the state is definitely increasing the opportunities for teachers to work around the state and some of the uh, some of the places in the state that don't get as many applications I think we'll get some more now that that's I, I would hope that's the hope I think that was the goal of yeah. the entire policy but I understand the potential in districts that don't have a good base of tax support in the community so that steps might get squeezed by the upward pressure on the bottom step. I can only hope that as we move forward with this gubernatorial administration's support for K through 12 education, that they'll take a look at that and think about how they can help those districts deal with that as well. Sure, because especially if so much of it is tied to property value and property Mm -hmm. uh, taxes, um, there are districts, I know of one in particular, where it's leading the state in a number of foreclosures. Mm-hmm. And so that their property tax rates are plummeting. They're, they're just, they're, their values, their valuations are going way, way, way down. So the amount of money that they're getting in for the system is going to be less and less and less and less. So how are they going to then boost up these costs for the increased teacher pay without having to do things like Cut programming, cut other staff, and those are the, like the, the the staff that'll get that'll get cut are going to be quote unquote ancillary, which are going to be either like administrators possibly could also be um, instructional coaches. It could be folks like counselors and social workers, which in those areas are so desperately needed. Right. And well, and I hope not, Matt. That's, Me too. That's not. Certainly, the goal of the policy it would be a very negative, unintended consequence if that were the case. I do know that we've dealt with uh, surprise reductions in uh, property valuation in terms of uh, some corrections to the formula. Mm-hmm. I know that the question of whether uh, it was going to be a two-year or a three-year mm-hmm. window. Mm-hmm. Uh, was part of that. We had the situation where the mill closed in Rumford and there was a huge plummet in the property valuation. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's especially true for some of the one big employer towns, that that can be a major issue if that employer leaves, the property value just plummets. So I, I believe that there are some measures in place to help deal with that. But I am so sure that there are plenty more that we could be doing, or there is plenty more we could be doing to help in those situations. Yeah. I'm sure as, as this uh, continues on, we'll see more bills come up before the legislature to, to address some of these things that, that come up. That, you know, we, we were talking to somebody earlier about the budget and the $40,000 salary being a value that we wanted to, to like, basically plant the flag in. Mm-hmm. That teachers are valuable. We need to spread them more across the state so they don't all stay right. in the southern part of the state. Correct. And yes, that's a first step. Okay, now how does this actually work as another step uh, for how we're going to pay for some of those step squeezing as we talked about a few minutes ago? Mm-hmm. 
So how do we remedy some of that? Because the teachers' contracts all over the state are clearly not the same. So how does that work in your district, Matt, as opposed to my district? We have two different contract systems. So where does all the money work and how does it how does it work for everybody? I'm sure those bills will be coming fairly soon. Yes, and and uh, we have had bills on statewide teacher contracts. Mm-hmm. However, I haven't been a big fan of those before as a former school board member, and I do think that there are local issues and and local control that's still very very important in teacher contract uh, discussions. Uh, so I'm I haven't been a fan of the statewide te- teachers contract, but I certainly see some value perhaps in setting and establishing some rules about sure. how steps can be spread, mm-hmm. and and some value in discussion, maybe in the formula for reimbursement about some of those issues. Right. I think the the, the big issue is equity, mm-hmm. and it's it's not about giving everyone the same amount of you know dollar price without giving them what they need and some might need more some might need less support and i think that's really one i know that's one of the things that maine has actually gotten some real kudos on nationally for having one of the most uh equitable school funding, funding formulas, formulas yes. in the in the country so well david silvernail who was the architect of some of the planning around what the funding formula looks like really did a lot of research on equity and was very concerned and tried to understand what was a high-performing school and separating that out from property value. And so I, I know that he did that research. I also know that when that formula came before the legislature, it got tweaked for political reasons in a variety of ways that may yep. not have had it come out as clean and clear as Dr. Silvernail had originally intended. But that's typical of the process yep. here. <laughs> that's just going to say. And that's sounds about right. Surprising. And it can right. be affected by points of view from an administration. It can be affected by points of view within the legislature itself. Uh, all those factors come to play in how a bill looks when it's finished. I think one easy thing to say is that none of these bills, none of things, nothing's binary. There's never a binary thing like, yep, yes, no, uh, pro. It's never, it's never that because it's always so layered. Everything is layered in gray. That's one thing I learned as a board member is that, uh, as a school board member, it's that there's so much complexity behind every single issue that none of it is as simple as just, well, yeah, yes or no, right. Yes, and I think that there are members of the legislature who may not understand this issue of the squeezing of the steps as we raise the bottom. Right. Uh, I know that when I was on the SAD 75 board, we um, negotiated a contract which gave higher levels, higher steps, um, a greater increase than lower steps, and then we were faced with the unintended consequence of having difficulty recruiting teachers. So, you know, people don't always know what that consequence will be, and we have to eventually look at it again down the line because of those layers. Let's talk about process a little bit. So as the as bills run through the system, uh, Matt and I want to know how does that work. 
Yeah, we, we don't know. <laughs> we've, we've, we've read things, we've watched things for over a year now or plus, and help us, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're our only hope. <laughs> Thanks for that appellation, I, I accept. Um, but uh, I, I think it is really hard to understand until you've been here. So generally speaking, in the long session, a member has an idea for a bill. That idea might come from their own head. It might come from a constituent. It might come even occasionally from a lobbyist or from an advocacy organization. And they go to the Office of the Reviser of Statutes and they tell the Office of the Reviser of Statutes what their idea is, how they want the policy to look in law, and the reviser of statutes writes the bill so that it complies with the main statutes. Okay. So the office of so the office of reviser of statutes they're the one who takes the, the they take the idea for the bill. They come up with the title. They come up with the basic language of the bill. Um well, probably the legislator has provided some basic language, and in some cases, okay. the legislator provides the title. But if the title doesn't comply or comport with the way law is laid out, the revisor's office will change the title of the bill. Okay. Um, so then that bill comes in writing to a member. Um, the member then has to get uh, co-sponsor signatures and if you're a member of the house generally you seek at least one senate co-sponsor and then other co-sponsors you usually try to seek out members of the committee that's going to hear the bill so you can get an idea ahead of time whether some of those people might support your bill that doesn't always work okay <laughs> but you do that anyway um, then the bill is sent to a committee on the House floor. Usually the first couple of weeks of a session, most of what we're doing on the House floor is sending bills to committees. Occasionally there is a dispute about where a bill should go. Because the jurisdiction of committees overlap, that can be a very complicated process. Mm -hmm. Sure. And so disputes sometimes have to be resolved over a period of time. Okay. And then the committee and the committee chairs will decide on a hearing date. The hearing date will be made public. And that will be a public hearing for the bill. The bill will be introduced by the sponsor or the sponsor's representative at the hearing. And then there will be people who testify in favor of the bill, against the bill, and sometimes there are people who testify neither for nor against a bill. Sometimes that's uh, an administrative department that doesn't want to take sides, but that has some thoughts about the bill. Sometimes that's a lobbyist who actually is testifying against the bill but doesn't want to say so. <laughs> we've, um, and we've seen, perhaps we've you've seen that. Yes, you may have seen a <laughs> few of those. No, neither for nor against. However, we're going to slam the entire idea. Yes, that happens. <laughs> that is, yeah. Once, though, 
A sponsor has presented a bill to a committee and the hearing has been held. The bill then belongs to the committee. The sponsor no longer has a say except in his or her relationships with members of the committee mm -hmm. and the committee chairs um, about what how the bill will proceed. So the committee is not obliged then to include the, the author or the sponsor of the bill in any kind of decision making at that point? That's correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. Although my experience is that um, deference to members of one own, one's own party often happen and also depending on the seniority of the member. So members of leadership will get a great deal of deference mm -hmm. in the hearing of their bills and in how they want those bills to come out. Okay. But then the committee will often meet in caucus. So the Democratic members of the committee will meet together and the Republican members of the committee will meet together and they'll discuss what some issues are maybe with the bill, whether they want to support the bill, whether they want to change the bill, or whether they just think the bill should die. Okay. Uh, then the leads on the committee um, talk to each other. So we find out what the members of the other party are thinking. Uh, then we decide if we're just going to go in and have a vote not trying to pull all together or whether we are all together or whether we're going to go back and talk about what kind of compromises we can make so that we can all pull together. And bills will be altered to get um, at least in this committee, often will be altered in order to get a unanimous report out of committee. So if there's some little tweak that the Democrats want so that the Republicans and the Republicans can agree or some little tweak the Republicans want, we'll often make that tweak so that everyone on the committee can vote together. Mm -hmm. Okay. When a bill comes to the floor, if it's, which means when it goes up to the House or the Senate, depending on where it starts, and that depends on who the sponsor is, unless it's a revenue bill. All revenue raising bills have to start in the House. But if it's not a revenue raising bill, the, the sponsor's a senator, it starts in the Senate, and if it's a, the sponsor's a a um, House member, it starts in the House. But when it comes to the floor, if it's a unanimous report, it often does what we call going under the hammer. And that's when the speaker just hammers the vote in, and it's assumed it's a unanimous vote of the entire House. So when the speaker or the speaker just does a bam, it's a vote. Yeah, that's right. Bam, Bam, it's a vote. That means that a bill is being voted in unanimously by proxy. Got it. I've been curious because I, I, when I when I first saw the process happening and going through, mm -hmm. and I'm watching it go through, so da, 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 bam, it's a vote. It was like an auctioneer going off like crazy. Bam, it's a vote. And I, just, what is ha I couldn't figure out what was happening, couldn't follow along with what was going on, and it was just overwhelmed by... This, what I was seeing, because I didn't know. But that's that's fascinating. 
And it's the responsibility of anyone who objects to a bill that's that appears on the day's calendar as potentially going under the hammer. It's a responsibility to object of that person or of the leadership for that party. So in a timely fashion. So if you don't want the bill to go under the hammer, if you think there's a problem with it, you need to jump up at just the right moment and say, I object. Oh, really? That yes. is, sounds like super pressure for a person sometimes. Well, and that's part of the role of leadership and the minority leadership in particular in a, in a democratically run house mm -hmm. that they have to keep track if they want to stop something from moving through, even though the committee voted, voted it unanimously, they need to be prepared. So, so they can't do a thing where they tell the speaker or someone in advance, we are going to be objecting to this bill. Well, they can, and okay. they should, um, because then she slows down a little bit, and Got it. usually, unless it's something that there's some kind of dispute, but generally speaking, she gives them that courtesy um, sure. of slowing down a bit and looking to the corner to see if they're going to object. Knowing that it might be coming. Knowing that it might okay. be coming. Yes. That's pretty good. I've got two questions for you. Sure. So the first one, you talked about tweaking some of these bills to make sure they came out unanimous of the committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is that so important, I guess? Because the other side of uh, what happens on the floor is that if a bill comes out of committee with a divided report, then there's often floor debate on it. The whole Republican caucus and the whole Democratic caucus have to decide where they stand. Mm -hmm. And then there's a vote, an actual vote on the floor on it. Now, some bills can pass by majority vote, uh, and so that's fine, but, but bills that have to do with revenue, bills that have to do with the Constitution, bills that have to do with the budget require a two-thirds vote. Mm -hmm. um, Democrats do not have a supermajority in the House, which means that in order for something to have a two-thirds vote, it has to uh, have a number of Republicans come along with the Democrats and independents as well. Mm -hmm. And this is where the independents really have some leverage between the caucuses in anything that requires a two-thirds vote. Okay. Okay. So my, one other question, which is not really related to that one. Um, you're a chair of this committee. Mm-hmm. Does every bill that gets assigned to your committee automatically get a hearing? Yes. That's how that's how Maine works, right? That's how Maine works. Not every state. Not works, every state. Okay, because I've, I've read about some other states and the chairs have a lot of power whether something actually gets a hearing or goes to the floor. But in Maine, if it comes to your committee, you just have to figure out when it happens. That's right. Okay. That's correct. And sometimes we save up bills that are in the on the same general subject for a particular mm -hmm. day. Um, and that is helpful because then the 
advocates and citizens who are particularly concerned about an issue can be here for one whole day and sit through all of the hearings. Yep. That's extremely helpful, by the way. It is. As, as people who don't show up all the time, mm -hmm. but if something's big, we can listen to three or four bills and all the, mm -hmm. all the yeah, it's a big help. So that, thank you for doing that. <laughs> well, and I think it's helpful to legislators also, you know, because we can compare apples to apples then instead of having, you know, an apple one day and another apple on another day with right. oranges in between. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, sounds crazy, but that's really, I mean, because you get confused about, yeah. wait a minute, what did we do about that? Well, you did have, you did mention 280 bills yeah. earlier, so I, well, yeah. this I'm brings sure up a question to do. brings so. up a question that, I, that just came up for me, which is, um, if any bill, if any legislator can put forth a title or put forth an idea to the Office of the Revising Statute, mm -hmm. right, um, is there any kind of discussion amongst the legislators to to say like, I'm gonna put forward this bill, I'm gonna put forward this bill, because sometimes you see the same bill, more or less, coming from four, five, six different people. And, <laughs> and, and, and since they all need to get their day, then it becomes like, well, could you all just like talk a little bit beforehand and figure this out ahead of time? And well, is, is, is that happen? Yes, that happens. Okay. Um, the, that's one of the responsibilities of committee chairs. If we've got four very similar bills, we're gonna turn to the sponsors and say, hey guys, pick one of these to carry the water for everybody uh, and we'll make you all co-sponsors if we need to. Um, the revisor's also, office also sometimes does that. They're, they get a lot of pushback and they don't, um, when they get pushback they tend to just say, okay, you can have your bill and you can have your bill. But otherwise, um, there have been years when uh, I put in bills to restore revenue sharing and um, other people put in bills to restore revenue sharing and the first person who puts in the bill to restore revenue sharing often got the bill and everybody else was a mandatory co-sponsor. Mm. Okay, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. You know. Yeah, so some, sometimes the revisor's office controls that. They'll get direction to some extent from the speaker's office about how much they should control that. Mm -hmm. If a member pushes back and says, no, my bill is really a little different, I want it done like this, uh, it depends on whether the speaker's office has said to them, no, you really have to push on keeping the number of bills down. I don't know, Matt. Tell so, you, yeah, you might, Representative Tepler, you might not be on the Education Cultural Affairs Committee, but I was just taken to school. <laughs> you know, nice. thank you very much. I've been waiting to that. No. You're welcome. Yeah, but that, no, but that was that was good. I, I have one more question before we finish here. Sure, I guess. sure, sure. Is that uh, we're talking here? It's late November, mm -hmm. and the Maine Legislature is a part-time legislature that mm -hmm. works in the spring, and keeps going ish. as we all know. <laughs> it's very ish. Very ish. Um, <laughs> So we see legislators running around the Capitol like all the time, mm -hmm. yet this is a, a part-time position that we don't get, you don't get paid very much for. Mm -mm. How much do you work and if it's not like in session? If the session is supposed to close what, in April, the second session? The second session is supposed to close in April. The first session is supposed to close towards the end of June. I like how you said supposed to. 
yeah. So the it's rest of the time, independent-ish. The the rest of the time, so summers and the falls, uh, people can assume that all the legislators are, you know, out on their boat on the water eating bonbons, right? Because that's how it works. Not not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like bonbons. Yeah, oh, bonbons good. are good. Yeah, yeah. and and being out on the water in Agreed. Maine in the oh, summer abs- is like no better superior. <laughs> uh, but in any case, um, no, we. First of all, respond to constituent concerns. Mm -hmm. So I get phone calls or emails at home. I try hard to respond to those fairly quickly um, unless I'm away. Um, I'll call people back. If you don't leave me a phone number, I can't get back to you. And I have had that experience, unfortunately, of people calling Mm -hmm. me, telling me they needed my help, and then not leaving me their phone number. Uh, and I didn't have it in in the voter database or mm-hmm. any uh, other way. So yeah. that's very frustrating. But yeah, so there's constituent concerns to respond to. And this committee has been meeting in the interim. We've had three interim meetings so far. We'll have another one uh, in a couple weeks. Um, and as chairs, we've taken responsibility for helping to set up those meetings, making mm-hmm. phone calls. We've had national experts on healthcare reform here for the last two meetings, and the third one we will have more national experts, people from big health policy schools, from health policy research institutes, um, just all kinds of national experts. We have an actuarial expert from Manat coming next time. We have someone from the Schaefer Brookings Institute coming next time. Um, and, you know, we feel very fortunate because we haven't even paid these people or paid for their travel, uh, but they're coming to talk to us because they want Maine to be a leader in healthcare reform. As do we. As do we. Yeah. It sounds very much like the, their role is much like, a, much like a teacher, much like an educator. Not a whole heck of a lot of pay, yet the hours are never ending. Great. And also <laughs> events. I get invited to events all the time um, to sure. a holiday party at the, is it Kennebec Behavioral Health has a, a, a place in Topsom um, and they invited me to something. I got invited to something at the Independence Association that I couldn't make. But there's always invitations to um, advocacy groups in your community who are doing good work and you want to go and you want to represent and hear what they're doing. So there's a lot of stuff going on. I like to uh, show up at the library when community events are going on. Shout out to the Thompson Public Library. Yeah, shout out to the Thompson Public Library, which is an awesome organization. Fortunately, Matt is a constituent of mine. Matt, number one or number two. I'm not sure which. Oh, he's number two. I'm very much number two. (laughs) Okay, Matt, number two. I'm very much number two. So this sounds like a full-time job, not a part-time job, but very understandable. Representative Tepler, thank you very much for taking time to talk with us today. You're welcome, Matt. Matt, it was fun. (laughs) 